Now, it's time for the real Monica Adams show. you along. If you're brand new to my show, it's all about positivity. You know, years ago, I started the Triangle of Life Theory, and it has to do with mental, physical, and spiritual health. What is that? 33 and a third percent of each one of them makes up 100 percent of the balance of life. And day in and day out, if you practice that, your life becomes more of that for you and for those around you. Every day, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m., I host a show on Facebook and on YouTube that you can watch and you can listen and you can receive the message. And hopefully it takes you on that path and that journey that you've been seeking. Every Thursday, we then drop a new episode on all of the audio podcast platforms so you can watch and you can see and it can start to change your life. I'm thrilled to have you on board. Please share the message that we're here for you and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome in to The Real Monica Adams Show. If you're just new to the show, welcome aboard. It has been an incredible ride since March 1st when we first had this dream. And for all of you that have followed me over the last 30 years, thank you so much. You humble me with some of the comments that you make. Some of you that followed me ever since I was in Festus, and then to DeSoto, then to WIL, KMOX, Channel 2, Channel 5, and right here. It's not about the negativity of the news. And a lot of you have a tendency to flip. It's just kind of habit. It's a habitual thing to turn the news on. And then all of a sudden, all of this is in your face. And it's the graphic images of the negativity that exist in our world. Here's what I want, though. We have to be aware of what's going on so we can try to be the change. And you know that I have said that my entire life, and I have a, I have a guest this morning that I feel very similar, that, you know, you wonder God moves you in different ways, and then he moves through you, and he takes you, and he wants you to be, which is what I feel as a faith-based woman, as a disciple here walking to spread his message. So when I was 19, I almost lost my life. The gentleman I'm going to talk to today, he had a 1% chance of survival. He was actually asked by his mother, do you want to live? And he chose to not only live, but to thrive and to inspire you. I cannot wait to tell his story with you today. I've had a chance to see him speak. He's been a part of just an incredible movement in the St. Louis area. And we're going to talk about his changes and how he continues to inspire on a daily basis. So what happens when you go through things like that? Well, you have to set your mind, you have to set your spirit, but you have to have the people around you supporting you to help lift you up and the days that you say, I can't, I don't want to go on, they say, yes, you do. I know that you have it in you, that fury inside of you, the passion inside of you. And in fact, I started this yesterday, so the grateful, the gratitude, the inspiration, today I already wrote on it. I am thankful and grateful for, for passion. And I ask people, you know, what's your purpose in life? Many people can't answer that question, and it's okay. If you could, I'd be surprised. In all of my counseling and life coaching that I do, I ask that question, and most people say, Oh, that's a big one. It is, but I want you to dig deep inside of you, right? The more clarity and the, the motivation that you can pass along in the world. That's the powerful thing. So we want to move and move through each and every person that we meet to try to give us a little bit of passion and they get passion back and you have that movement forward. So why did I walk away from a very steady, secure job? Because I wanted more positivity in this world. And that's what we're doing here on this show. So if you are new to it, it just gives you a little background on what we've been 
doing day in and day out. And cannot wait for big things to come in 2024. My next guest, I'm not sure if you've ever heard a chance, had a chance to hear him speak. Hopefully you've maybe read one of his books, On Fire or In Awe. Maybe you know that there is a movie being filmed about his life. And it actually was right here in St. Louis. John Corbett, William H. Macy in the movie. On Fire. It is the story of John O'Leary, and I hope that you have had a chance to hear the man speak. If not, wow. There will not be a dry eye, I don't think, at home, but what I hope is that you'll get goosebumps, that it will ignite something in you to really get you to awaken yourself to just how important you are to this life. And a lot of people that think that they have no value in this world today might be your awakening. I cannot wait for you to hear my guest speak. John O'Leary in the blue chair when we return. Innovare Health Advocates, kind of like having a doctor in the family. Their clinicians intervene very early on to minimize your illness, providing care above and beyond and the treatments right in their office. Innovare Health Advocates, online at InnovareHealth.com. Thrilled to have you along with us. I'm Monica Adams and my guest. Now, he and I haven't seen each other, I don't think, even in person. I know I definitely haven't interviewed him. And since it's probably 2005, which is way too long, my friend, John O'Leary is with us this morning. We're going to talk about so many aspects of his life. First of all, thanks for coming in studio. I appreciate it. I appreciate friends who have me back every 19 years. <laughs> what is so wrong with that? <laughs> We're sitting here thinking, I think it was X, and I believe it was when your parents came out with a book. Right. We've been trying to. You're just too busy. Right. I've tried to get you back in. We actually knew about the movie being filmed, I think, before everybody started breaking the news. And I was like, I knew about it, but I couldn't say anything about it. And then you got crazy busy, which we're going to talk about all of that. We'll talk about the movie, et cetera. But first of all, thank you so much. You are an incredibly inspirational man. And I can't wait for you and your message to hopefully awaken others, because it's isn't it the hardest thing to hear, John, when someone says, I don't have any value. I don't really have purpose. I, I, I'm i not a person who can really inspire people. Yeah, and you hear it a lot these days. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then media does not help us out for the most part. School systems don't always help us out for the most part. And life doesn't always help us out for the most part, reminding us that we are precious and priceless and valued. Uh, and yet, uh, I think looking in the mirror closely, you recognize just how gifted we are in our life. On the, on the elevator ride up today, if you, as you look to the right, that sun was shining over the arch, man, and it, it reminded me how blessed we are just to simply be above ground today. So I, I, I'm grateful to be back, Monica. No, John, a amen, and I love that you said that because so often it's like usually 15 minutes before we go on the show here, and I will walk by those windows and go, oh, that's God. That's God saying he hello, right. good morning, right? So sometimes you know you have to lean in on whatever will inspire you, and hopefully today you'll get that. Let's give some of your story for those that don't know you. So go back to when you were nine years old, and here you are in the and you're just doing things that you see other guys in the neighborhood do. Right. Very common for little boys <laughs> to uh, be curious and to be investigative and uh, inquisitive. Certainly, I was no different. I grew up in St. Louis County. Mm -hmm. I saw boys in my neighborhood playing with fire and gasoline. And I figured if they could do it, so could I. So on a Saturday morning, back in January of 1987, I went into the garage. Mom and Dad were at work. The house was mine. Bent over a five-gallon can of gasoline try to pick the thing up, but it was too heavy. So I set the can back on the ground, set the piece of paper burning on the concrete floor, bear hugged the can, Monica, and very carefully started tipping, trying to pour before the liquid came out. The fumes 
pulled that little flame into the canister, creating this massive explosion, picked up the nine-year-old, and it launched me 20 feet against the far side of the garage. And we all learned as kids what to do when we're on fire. Roll. Stop, drop, and roll, man. Mm -hmm. but, but when you're nine and you're blasted 20 feet from where it all began and you are covered in gasoline and you're a flame and everything around you in the room is also a flame immediately, like, really, what do you do? So I, I ran, and that decision certainly changed my life. All these decisions, every decision changes our life. Some for the better, some for the worse. Usually we don't know in real time. But un undoubtedly, that decision changed my life. It set my world on fire, and uh, I'm sure you're going to want to ask some more questions around that. Absolutely. So that happens. You run. Now you run to go to where and right. what's going – I mean, literally, because none of us can even wrap our brains around this – what is, do you even remember, what is the absolute first thing that's going through your mind when you get thrown back and you're on fire? Yeah, it's odd because I don't remember what I had for breakfast 15 minutes ago <laughs> yeah. before the elevator ride up. But I remember 36 years ago in that morning as if it happened right now in real time with us. Uh, I remember being blown back, seeing orange everywhere, not even certain that that orange was fire. I just knew I was in trouble. Like real, real, real trouble. Like when you fall and you're not sure what hurts, but you know something's wrong. So I knew I was hurt somewhere badly. I knew I had to get out of there quickly. So I ran on fire through the flames into the house, ran through the kitchen, family room, into the front hall. I stood on a rug, and there's still an, a picture of the rug with a black stain on the bottom of it, not from stopping and dropping and rolling, but from a poor little kid just standing there frozen in fear. And on that rug that morning, I was praying for a savior. You know, I, I knew I could not do this by myself. So um, I'm praying for a hero. God, I'll take anybody. And I see my brother, Jim, who works in this same building, by the way. So, Jim, if you're downstairs right now, good morning to you. Bring me a coffee quickly. <laughs> exactly. But Jim sees me on fire. He's 17. He's not prepared for this. Mm -hmm. And rather than running away from me, this boy runs right toward me. Flames are leaping three feet off of my body. He picks up a rug. He comes over to me. You talked a moment ago about purpose and passion. Sometimes you can't articulate that, but you can model it anyway. My brother Jim attacked the fire, beat down the flames. It took him two and a half minutes. He burns himself in the process, hands and arms, wraps me in that rug, carries me outside, jumps on top of me, runs back inside the burning house, chases my sisters out, chases the dog out, calls 911. 1987, the lifesaver of the year for the state of Missouri. Mm was not a firefighter or a first responder or a Marine, but a 17-year-old pimple-faced jerk brother named Jim who recognized the call to show up and serve and did so, and in doing so, changed both of our lives. Absolutely. Wow, what an incredible decision to make as a teenager. And, you know, so many times, John, people say, oh, teenagers, right? They put them in this, they stereotype them, put them in. You, you never know because he jumped in as a hero immediately. We're talking about the beginning of how this man has inspired millions, and I do mean millions, all across the world. So you do go into the hospital. You were hospitalized, was it five months? Yeah, a little more than five months. And your mom asked you right as you go in because obviously... At that point, it's critical, the decisions that are made and the what comes out of your mouth. Because if you see fear in your parents and in your family, right. you could give up. She, Your mother asked you, John, do you want to live? Almost. In fact, her question was even more bold than that. I, I'm, I'm so you know, scared for my life. And I'm, I'm naked and I'm skinless and I know I'm in trouble. And she walks in, she takes my hand in hers. 
pats my bald head and she says, baby, I love you, which is such a sweet, tender moment between a son and his mom. And I, I was kind of done with the love at that point. So I said to her, mom, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? And her response was not assuring. It was honest. She said, baby, do you want to? Your choice, not mine. And I said, mom, I don't want to die. Gosh, I want to live. And her response was good. Then look at me. You take the hand of God, you walk the journey with him, and you fight like you never fought before. She said, your father and I will be with you every step along the way. You're not by yourself, but do your part. Fight. And so on January 17th, this is a lifetime ago, it feels like now, a little insecure, naked, skinless boy followed the advice of his mom. I took the hand of God. I fought like I'd never fought before. Had no idea what amputations might look like and feel like. Had never heard of skin grafts or bandage changes or therapy or anything, anything else. But I knew how to fight, and I knew the fight was on. We, we knew the outcome before we started the journey. We knew we were going to pull through this thing. How are you so sure of that? My mom's challenge. And I know like some of us struggle in our faith, and we struggle in our faith right now as we read the headlines, because the headlines will remind us again and again and again how evil the world is. Uh, but that wasn't the headline I was reading that day. My mom, with her hand in mine, said, take the hand of God, fight like you never fought before, and you will survive this thing. And at that point, as a little boy, I had the faith of a, the kind of person who could get out of a boat and walk on water. Hmm. And I wish I had that kind of faith still. Because sometimes, uh, sometimes I struggle, sometimes I doubt. But at age nine, I wasn't doubting. I knew. I had no idea how hard it would be, but I knew it, it would be worth it. In those five months in the hospital, what was the most difficult thing that you feel you went through? Yeah, I mean, gosh, it's so hard. Burn care is so hard. I visit a lot of burn patients these days, and it is the least favorite thing I do because it's so hard for me to see these kids and these adults and the staff struggling to the degree they do. And I had burns on my entire body. So the physical agony was almost unbearable. Morphine doesn't cover it up. So that, that's hard, obviously, every aspect of the day. But the single most difficult moment was waking up from surgery about a month and a half in and seeing my parents crying. Mm -hmm. And then asking in my sweet little voice, like, oh, why are you guys crying? Because my mom and dad never rarely, rarely cried in front of me, in particular in hospital. And my mom started answering, baby, they, and she, she couldn't get it out. So then my dad stepped in and said, baby, the surgery was a success, but your fingers were so badly burned and they, they got in so sick that the doctors had to amputate your fingers. So I'm like, you know, I'm looking at my hands, but they're not like this. They're bandaged, just like they were before surgery. Nothing changed. So I looked at these hands that seemed unchanged, and I said, well, they grow back. <laughs> right? mm. And um, my dad said, no, baby, fingers don't grow back. And I said, well, fingernails grow back, Dad, and hair grows back. Why not fingers? And, you know, I won't bore you with the entire conversation we had, but needless to say, at the end of it, I was rocked because I knew I would never play baseball for the Cardinals again. Mm. Because I knew I was going to, you know, Ozzie Smith was aging. He wasn't even that good of a shortstop. <laughs> I was going to replace him. Him doing the flip. That's yeah, overrated. Jeez. Exactly. Anybody can cartwheel onto the court. <laughs> so I couldn't play baseball. I could not go back to school. I would not get a job. And even at nine, and I, I wrote about this in a book, and the, the uh, editor said, I don't, I don't believe you actually felt that way. And I'm like, 
fine, don't believe I felt that way, but I did. And what she was challenging was the final statement in that little sentence, which was, and I will never hold the hand of a girl because what little girl would ever want to take broken down hands like this? So even at nine, my life had been rocked and I challenged my mom and dad like they, they didn't save my life. They just took it. That was a very painful moment and a very painful journey afterwards. But the way that individual moment ended was with my father coming in and just this big old bear hug around me and like pulling me in. And for the Christian viewers and listeners out there, like the story of the prodigal son, some people have to read about what grace looks like. And that is worth reading about. And then there's a few of us who were fortunate enough to experience what grace felt like. And I have felt that kind of grace my entire life. I felt it on the day I was burned. I felt it for the nine years leading up to that experience. And I certainly felt it in mid-February when my father just pulled me close and settled my heart and my concerns and fear. He did not make the journey forward easy, but he reminded me in that hug and in that silence that I wasn't alone. That's one of the most powerful things, John, is to look around you, and that's when you really find who loves you, right? So many people can walk away, their fear and the unknown. Here's a, you know, if you had friends, 100% of the body is burned, and for young kids, they don't know how to act around that. Were you bullied growing up? Yeah, so very rarely. One of the cool things that happened, so, you know, you talked about the movie a moment ago, um, they just filmed a story of my life, and we'll come back to your mm-hmm. question, I promise you, in a moment. But mm-hmm. there, there's, a, there's a tangential answer to that. Okay. The final scene they shot, it's not the final scene in the movie, but the final scene they shot was when I got married. And so they had, rather than paying extras to show up and sit in this church, we invited the friends and family who were part of that day to show up and serve in that church to be extras for something they were not extra in 20 years earlier. And as I'm behind the camera with the director, with some of the crew, I'm looking out at this room and many, many, many of the individuals in that church were kids that I went to school with. Really? And then I started thinking, why? Like, why am I looking at seven little girls that I was in fourth grade with and eight little boys that I was in fourth grade with? Why did that happen? I think tragedy either pushes us apart and it it makes us the least least of who we thought we were, like just tears us apart. We see evidence of this in our nation right now. All the time, man. Watch Fox or MSNBC or CNN. Pick your poison and they will tell you how lousy your world is. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer, man. That's what they do. Our little church community came together around this little boy. It started the day I was burned. It continued on for five and a half months while I was in hospital. It continued on through that summer I recovered for the five months it took me to get back to school after that summer ended. And when I came back to school, there was this massive parade, not to mock me and throw stuff at me, but to celebrate my life. And that kind of love continued forward, not just through a parade, but into the following day, following day, following year, into high school, through college, and into a fake wedding last week. So was I bullied? Rarely, because as soon as someone would say something, someone else would stand up and say, dude, you have no clue what he's been through. And I wish we had audacity like that in the marketplace when people get picked on for the next guy up to say, wrong, Amen. not here, mm-hmm. not here. Instead, we retweet it because, man, that was a pretty good get right there, man. She sure got knocked down by that guy that we look up to. So I'm, I'm kind of done with the bullying culture. I think it is dismissive. It is cancerous and it will kill us all. 
I, absolutely. And the thing that we always get frustrated by is you can look at any point of bullying in all of our years growing up, and then we look at the kids now, and they're dealing with the bullying that we knew, and then the cyberbullying, and we're seeing suicide rates in kids that is astronomical. And it's got to come to an end. It really is a cancer that can really ruin our nation. Thank you for talking about the thing that I walked away from, which is what I wanted nothing to do with anymore. The negativity of the news is going to kill us all. Yeah. It's going to divide us all. It is, you know, we, we had a guest on that I think was very powerful, and he talked about this whole polarization and tribalization, and it ends up to a point where there's no respect for each other anymore, and people just randomly killing people. And that's what we're seeing play out in this world, and it's got to come to an end. This man's inspiring you to try to change that, right? We're trying to, that's what this show is all about, every day to bring you more positivity. John O'Leary, On Fire is the book, and there's also a movie that is being made on his life that's due out next year, Thanksgiving time, right? That's about right. All right, John O'Leary. Hi, it's Monica Adams. Thank you so much for following along with The Real Monica Adams Show since we launched back in March. But I wanted to let you know there's so much more that I could do with you, your business, your corporation. Did you know that I'm a motivational speaker all around the world, as well as an MC and an auctioneer? So if you have an event, maybe a nonprofit organization, and you want to book me, just shoot me an email, info at therealmonicaadams.com. Personal training, life coaching, and styling as well. Info at therealmonicaadams.com. Welcome back into the Real Monica Adams Show. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And then saying, yes, Monica, this is what we need more of. Amen. I know that. And that is why we are doing what we're doing. Spread the word, by the way. Share this particular day. And maybe this is the day that you get inspired to see just how important you are. John O'Leary is my guest. And we're talking about On Fire, the book, the movie, In Awe. We'll talk about his parents' book as well, because that's truly the way I met him. So, John, they're saying good morning and very inspiring life story. Thank you for sharing uh, Richard says, burns are no joke. I had a skin graft on 17% of my body. The pain is like no other, and the burn unit is filled with nothing but screams and agony. My hat is off to you, John, for overcoming the challenges that you faced. Uh, one of my best friends talks about, and he was actually in the hospital, I believe, for about nine months or maybe even up to a year. Her father was burned. He was a Marine. And they talk about how he was face down in bed yeah. for so very long. You know these stories. You've lived this life. But here you are now with this incredible smile. You have one of the most beautiful smiles that I've seen. You ha That's what? the $20 we agreed to <laughs> before we 50. came back. It was 20 I don't have 50 <laughs> You do, though. You, you have an aura about you, and it's just, you know, we were talking at the break that some people, and you don't know why, that you are chosen to spread his message. You believe that? Well, I, I don't believe I was. I think all of us were. And uh, whether we accept that and when we accept that, that's personal. But, but for me, it's something I'm still stepping into. How do I say yes to being used for good? And that, that sometimes looks like podcasts and, and radio shows and television shows like today. Other times it looks like loving the one in front of you. There's a coffee shop downstairs serving the customers with respect. It's different for all of us, but I think we are all called to evangelize. Well, and this is interesting. I saw on, I follow you obviously on all your socials, and I saw that you were reunited with someone who made a great impact on your life in your physical therapy world. And you didn't know what happened to him. And you said that he looked like Apollo Creed, <laughs> <laughs> this strong force that um, played a very instrumental point in your life. So people who haven't seen that, you want to tell that story? Yeah, I mean, buckle up. Here we go. But <laughs> he, he was a, primarily a burn technician, a burn nurse who did some stretching of my joints. His name was Nurse Roy. Roy was an, an awesome man. 
and tough. So you, you heard from earlier, Richard, he talked about the burns on 17% of his body. I, we had it in the entire body, which meant I spent five and a half months in a hospital bed flat. Roy's job every day was to pick me up and take me to the bandage change. What he should have done is put me on a gurney and rolled me down. That would have been the appropriate way to get me from point A to point B. What this guy did, though, is he would pick me up and get me to stand upright. And with my little legs dangling between his mighty legs, he would draw me back step by step toward the bandage change. And on the walk back, he would say into my right ear, boy, you're going to walk again. You might as well get used to it. <laughs> move your legs, move your legs. And at that point, I could not move anything. And it was inflicting all kinds of pain on a little boy who was already in enough pain. So I, I hated Nurse Roy. And then I hated him even more the following day when he did the same thing. You know, boy, <laughs> you're going to walk again. Might as well get used to it. That went on for five and a half months in hospital. And Roy never saw me walk. But I walked in here. I gave you a hug when I came into your studio. I think the reason why I walk today is in no small part due to his vision. That, that, that idea of one day you will do this thing. So Roy never saw me walk, but I, I credit him for why that happened. Years and years pass, I'm speaking to the Alabama Power Company in just south of Tuscaloosa. And at the end of the presentation, he, the leader of the meeting, his name was Keith, pulls me back up on stage and says, fella, what was the name of that mighty nurse? And I'm like, dude, I had so many great nurses. He's like, yeah, but only one of them was... Apollo Creed, yeah, like exactly. massive African-American built man. What was his name? And I said, Roy. He said, what would he say to you? And I said, boy, you're going to walk again. And the gentleman behind the microphone said, that, that is not what he would say. Mm -mm. I bet you what he would say would sound more like this. And I hear like the boom, the mic pop. And then from overhead, the voice of God say, <laughs> boy, you are walking again. I am proud to walk with you. And they pull back this curtain, and in this little community south of Tuscaloosa, they bring back Nurse Roy. Oh. It had been 24 years since I saw him. We both cried. He uh, had not changed physically at all. He's in his early 60s at that point, and still this hulking, athletic, handsome fella. Gives me this bear hug. We have dinner together that night. And uh, one of the, th the things he shared with me that moved me deeply, you you brought it up on the beginning of the, the interview. He said, John, what surprises me the most about this whole reunion is to learn after 24 years that my life mattered. And so, yeah, are we called to be apostles and disciples and spreaders of joy and love? Absolutely. And from time to time, we're called to just shut our eyes and recognize that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, that we are indeed making a difference. And it was super cool, 24 years after he made that mighty difference in my life, that Nurse Roy was finally informed to the degree that he touched my life and mm -hmm. continues to touch my life. And in the movie, gosh, there's some moving aspects of what they portray. But the film crew agree that that reunion moment between Nurse Roy and his little patient, John O'Leary, 24 years after the burn experience, 
it brought everybody to tears. Oh, how could it not? I mean, John, that's the thing that every day, and you're getting ready to go off to work, or maybe you're listening as you're driving to work, or maybe you're taking a little break and you're at work already, and you think that what you do doesn't matter. Look at that. I mean, here he was doing his job on a daily basis, but put into your life for a reason, and then you're separated all these years, and 24 years later, come back to this incredible rush of reunion. And here he is realizing, today, you just made me realize what my purpose was. Right. Right? So we're all we're always looking for that purpose. So I have seen so many interviews that you've done. Your podcast, of course, John O'Leary, and you, you know, get inspired by him on a daily basis with your podcast and with the book. You have a movie that is going to be made about you all these years later. When you find out that's going to happen, what goes through your mind and your heart? It's about time. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm it. Joking, why? I'm why? No, seriously, no, I can't dude, believe that's it took not, this long. That is not me at all. The whole thing. <laughs> And I'll back up a little bit. I never shared the story with anybody, not classmates at St. Clements, not friends at DeSmet, not roommates at St. Louis University, uh, not guys that I worked with on my construction crew. I, I never told anybody what happened to me as a kid because I always figured if you talk about the bad stuff in your life, you're going to be defined by the scars. And I never wanted to be defined by things that I viewed as being negative ever. So I, I never, ever spoke about it. My life changed most dramatically, I think, at age 28 when I was in a church service and the pastor was talking about being used for good. He said, everybody's got talents, one, two, five. I don't know what you have, but he, he backed into those of us with one, and that was me. And he said to those of us in the back row, and if you think you only have one talent, hear my voice. Hear my voice. Your life is a priceless, precious gift. Say yes to being used for good. And I, I didn't know what that meant, but okay, I'll say yes to being used for good. Two days later, I'm down in Soulard working construction. My phone rings, and a little girl says, would you speak at my school? And, I, you know, about what, man? I, I, I had no idea what I would do. I never told anybody, but I knew the answer to service. Even if you feel ill-equipped or unqualified, yeah, dude, I'll do that. So I, I spoke. It was not very impressive, Monica. I had no cards in front of me that I read verbatim looking down, never making eye contact with those people in the audience. It's, it was horrible. But one of the dads on the walkout said, dude, that was, that was terrific. Would you speak at my Rotary Club? Your life is a priceless, precious gift. Say yes to being used for good. Yeah, you start from talking to some Girl Scouts to getting nervous, feeling sick backstage. What you know? What what am I going to say? How am I going to inspire? From that walk, you have now been all over the world speaking and right. and inspiring people, millions. I know that every time I can guarantee you, because I have I, I have heard you, I've interviewed you in the past. You are still so unbelievably humble. Each time you go into each and every one of those, what are you hoping happens between you and those that are listening to you? Yeah, ultimately to, to remind them that their life matters. They, they, we talked about this at the very beginning of our conversation. They may not have gotten that message at home. They may not have received it when they woke up and went to school that day. They may not ever get it from their boss or a fellow colleague at work, and they certainly will not get it from mainstream media. They will not. Your life matters. There's a reason for hope. The foundation is firm. God is still God, and the best is yet to come. They will not hear that message. And then they hear this insecure, broken-down scar riddled how old am i 40 almost seven year old guy walk on stage arms bent at 90 degrees sharing reminder after reminder that their life does indeed have value mm -hmm. your life does indeed have value and you do have agency you do, do have the power to choose your next right step forward 
So that's what I strive to remind them, the gift of their perspective, the gift of their voice, the gift of their choice, the ability they have to make a difference for those around them. I mean, like I, most of my work is done corporately with big organizations. But when I'm out of town, if I'm not with my own kids and my own wife, I love to party with children. And Absolutely. I love to remind them of the gift of their, their words, man, their value. We need to inspire them, right, John? That's who we need to get to. Those are our future leaders there. They have to know. You don't just speak and inspire. You play the piano. <laughs> I do play the piano. That that even was almost like on, on a lost bet. I was speaking in Las Vegas, and they had a grand piano in the middle of this room. And I just, during my, you know, as speakers, you do sound checks. You get the mic on and testing. <laughs> Good. And that's the end of the sound check. So it's over quickly. And there's a piano for an actual musician later on center stage. So I sit down and I just start playing. I love the piano. And the lady in charge of the meeting said, dude, I had no idea you could play. And I knew it where it was going before it <laughs> went there. So I'm like, dude, I, I can't. She goes, I heard it too late. <laughs> so she said, would you play for my family today? Mm-hmm. And her family was 27,000 at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And although, again, it goes back to a guy with security issues and there's the photo of it, proof that it happened. (laughs) I've learned in life, even if you don't feel fully ready, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. So I said, yes. Uh, I asked her what she wanted to hear. Kind of hoping she would want like Coldplay because my wife loves that or you too. My daughter loves that. Garth Brooks, I have a kid who likes that. And she said, what was your mom's favorite? Oh, wow. So I said, my mom's favorite was Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. She goes, play that. So in front of almost 28,000 leaders, a kid with no fingers sat down and just slowly started playing one finger at a time and then a couple fingers and then ultimately hitting chords. Amazing Grace. But as beautiful as that is, like, wow, good for you, John. The real story is I had a teacher show up in my life when I was nine. And she put her arm around me when she came into my house on that first day. And she said, John, this is going to be really, really, really hard. Welcome to life. Mm. And we can do it together. And with that, she grabs a little pen, as if I'm ready for this, out of her purse. She puts it on top of my right hand. She tethers it with three rubber bands. And now a little boy in a wheelchair on a morphine drip at his home piano with one finger in the form of a pen, was playing the piano. And the following day, that teacher came back and did the same thing. And the following day, for a week, and then a month, and then a year, and then five. So if you think I'm with you today, Monica, or viewers, like to brag on how mighty I am, dude, I'm the recipient of grace and love and leadership and example and challenges. And uh, through their example, that's why I'm with you today. And that's what I hope you're hearing. It's all the people that have come into his life and all the people that come into your life. And if you are fogged and you are clouded by the debris, you will miss those beautiful connections that happen that in any, I mean, think about what happened to him at nine. If he didn't have a family that loved him, if he had parents that didn't want to show up for him, right. imagine how this story would have been so very different and we wouldn't be reading a book and we wouldn't be seeing a movie. We wouldn't be hearing this inspiration. I'm going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about the movie and how you'll be able to see that next Thanksgiving and what he's proudest about and also his connection to Jack Buck, which I love. We'll have more with John O'Leary when we return. Oh. 
Hi, I'm John Breyer. As you can probably tell from across the pond over in London, England, I had the pleasure of meeting Monica and the message that she spreads through podcasts and through all the avenues that she has is, is fantastic and the positivity is brilliant. And the fact that it's even affecting someone like me who no relation to, to America at all from London, it's great. And I can't wait to spread the message to as many people as I can. Welcome back and thank you again for being a part of the show. Why is it called The Real Monica Adams? Because I'm asking each and every one of you to be more authentic, to be more real, to allow yourself to put yourself out there and watch what happens. People really will embrace you. We're talking to an incredible man today. His name is John O'Leary. If you don't know his story, we're just giving you glimpses of it and I do want you to follow him. He will inspire you. Get inspired. Well, listen to his podcast. Read the book, not only on fire, but in awe. And maybe we're going to talk about how he and I first met, which was actually through his parents' book. But let me look at some of your comments. Uh, Dana says, Genesis 50:20. you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Solid. Right? And then there's a lot of comments on here. John is amazing. I'm so inspired by his life and his stories. Thank you for sharing. Sharing is actually the word I want you to do because this is how we impact each and everybody's life. I want you to share this interview. Uh, Abby just said, I'm so sorry I couldn't be there today to meet this amazing man. What an inspiration. She's watching from Franklin, Tennessee. So her mother actually is Lori that's outside. Abby is uh, is absolutely an incredible human being, very faith-based. And I think, actually, I think people with your movie was talking to her about playing I think that's music, right. right. I know the name. So yes. hello, Abby. I know your work. <laughs> yeah, she's incredible. So yes, let's talk about this. The book is on fire. He has it here in front of us. They decide to make a movie on your life, and it's going to be seen right around Thanksgiving of next year. Being filmed here in St. Louis, uh, there have been uh, calls for extras, etc. You are, are, are obviously instrumental instrumental in uh, seeing this whole thing play out. When they decide who's going to play you and play the different roles in your life, do you think they nailed it? <laughs> yeah. We had a team meeting yesterday talking about how we were going back and forth on who, what characters should play what individuals. And now looking back on it, they and we chose, I think, brilliantly. Mm -hmm. And it's all God's hand. Uh, do you want me to walk you through some of the individuals who are participating? Please, please. So Jack Buck had a mighty hand in my story, and we may spend a little bit of time on that at the end, but Jack Buck was the radio announcer for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's in seven different Hall of Fames. He uh, had eight children. I think all of them were, were boys except for six of them, or he had, he had some kind of funny joke like that. Jack was a great man and a dear friend who served me to such a degree during that time in hospital that I credit my life today to him. I named my first child after Jack Buck. So th that's the influence he had on me. So we wanted to get the role of Jack Buck just right. Uh, and I, we wanted a serious actor for that. So we got William H. Macy. Mm -hmm. William H. Macy is outstanding. He took the part so seriously. He delivered it brilliantly. So that's awesome. My dad is my hero. Uh, and if I start talking much more about my dad than just saying that one sentence, I'll, I'll lose it in front of your audience. But my, my dad's my hero. And um, we, wanted, we wanted a hero-type individual to play that role, so we picked John Corbett for that. John Corbett has played a whole lot of roles, like My Big Fat Greek Wedding yep. 1, 2, and 3, and Sex in the City, and all these other shows where he's always a lovable hunk. Mm -hmm. But he wanted to stretch himself a little bit, so he played a lovable hunk in the form of my 41-year-old dad. But he also played the role of a 71-year-old father who's dying of Parkinson's disease in that same movie. So that story in our, in our journey is not just of my dad healthy and vibrant and athletic and running his own business, 
but also sick and still offering wisdom and faithfulness to his son and to his family looking up to him. Still does. In fact, I was with my dad last night. There's a picture you just posted of uh, John Corbett and your father. And the same thing I just complimented you on is what I see in you and your father. Yeah. And it's that smile. His joy. My dad has joy, not happiness. My dad's life is very hard. And he's the most joyful guy I know. And John Corbett understood that. If you don't know John Corbett, you know, ask your ask your neighbor because she does. Every, exactly. Everybody loves John Corbett. And once I met him, I understood why. He's a lovable guy. My mother is portrayed by a woman named Stephanie Shostak. She's a brilliant actor. Uh, came into the industry later on at age 29. Iron Man 3, Devil Wears Prada, among many, many, many other shows. Stephanie's awesome and one of the most joyful, humble individuals I've ever met. So the, the reunion between my mom and Stephanie was awesome. I wanted to get my wife just right. My wife is beautiful but humble, uh, faithful but tough, funny but very serious, like all these things that don't seem to jive. And so we wanted this perfect person, and we found her in Macy McLean. Macy's awesome and uh, beautifully showed what, what Beth looks like in her life. And then John O'Leary. Uh, Joel, Joel Corbett was who we chose for that. And if you don't know Joel Corbett, ask your daughter or her friend. Joel Corbett is beloved by kids in grade school, middle school, high school, and college. He's been in shows like The Kissing Booth, Super 8, Jesus Revolution, among others. He's a serious actor. But what drew us to all of these individuals was their humility, their faithfulness, their love of life, and then secondarily, they're good actors. So we, we were fortunate to get some really outstanding individuals to portray the real-life individuals. I'm going to have a hard time waiting until next year to see It's this. unbelievable. They did such a good job. You just had a wrap party on Friday, didn't you? Yes. I'm yeah. still recovering from it. <laughs> Drinking-wise? <laughs> you know, Drinking-wise a little bit. No. Lack of sleeping-wise. Yes. The, the movie took seven years to get out. And uh, about four real difficult months leading up to it. And then six wild 20 hour day weeks of filming this thing filming this thing and i wrapped on friday at the shrine of saint joseph downtown and then we went across the street to katie's pizza downtown at ballpark village and we just had a party mm -hmm. we, we we toasted life and it was so cool to see actors who may have taken a job but in taking this job their lives changed we brought in all these producers you know 150 crew to the to form this movie and they took a job but in doing this work on a story like this their lives changed and so lives have already changed regardless of what happens with the movie people are better because on fire was made oh, that's, that's incredible and i love the fact it was filmed here and all the tax things that happened in with missouri that here we are the first movie actually right. that was able to be filmed here and that's what we love so you mentioned jack buck and i know you spoke about this before and i remember julie had you on and julie was talking about and started crying about the role that her father played in your life and i mean naming one of your children after him it's not just a oh i listened to jack and yeah what an incredible voice he was an amazing human being and we're all blessed anybody that had a chance to even be in his presence but why did jack have such a profound impact on your life yeah the the voice alone was why i loved him but i don't think i would have named my son after jack's <laughs> voice i had to get to know him and get to know his heart uh, when i was first burned they brought me into the hospital and uh, i could not move my arms or my legs they had a trach, so I could not breathe on my own, eat, or drink, or talk, and my eyes were swollen shut. So I spent five and a half months in the hospital, but the first month and a half just tied down in darkness. 
unable to do anything other than pray, dream, and listen. And the day after I got burned, the door opens up, I hear footsteps walk in, a chair comes across the floor, and then that mighty voice of Jack Buck brings light through the darkness. You know, it's so, so awesome. It's like, you know, it's like a fake movie, but it's a real story. And Jack Buck spoken to me, and I think the words we say matter. And we, we, we cheapen that fact. We, we, we hear politicians frequently say very evil things. Well, he didn't mean that or she didn't mean that. Well, they said that. Why don't, why don't we believe what they say? They said, that, they said that. Jack speaks life into my life. And he says to me, kid, you are going to live again. You are going to survive. Keep fighting. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark will make it all worthwhile. Keep fighting. He stands. He walks out. It's an eight-second visit, Monica. And yet in those eight seconds, my life began to change. Mm. I learned afterwards that Mr. Buck walked out of that room, leaned his head against the glass door, and just started crying. Oh, wow. Which is not weak. It's strength. The shortest mm-hmm. verse in Scripture Jesus wept. Like, this isn't weakness. It's, it's, it's love. And uh, one of the nurses came over to comfort him. She knelt and said, Mr. Buck, are you all right? We, we can't lose you. You know, you're the only celebrity <laughs> in St. Louis, and the Rams are going to leave next. Don't. And he says, uh, I'm not all right. That little boy won't make it, will he? Mm. And uh, the nurse looks up and says, Mr. Buck, there's absolutely not a chance. And when this news shows up in our life, what we do with it informs what happens. You know, so Jack Buck takes it home, cries, prays, journals, and the following day shows back up in this little boy's life. A boy he'd never met before the previous day. It's not like we're best friends. Right. Our parents, you know, go have drinks together. No. Oh, you had eight seconds. Eight seconds. And came back and gave me eight more. And came back and gave me eight more the following day. And when he was out of town for spring training, he sent injured Cardinal players in his stead, like Andy Vanslack or Blues players or the old football Cardinals team used to come by. Because one man saw a need and decided rather than turning away from it and giving up on it to fight for it. So Jack is a mighty example of what can happen when we show up for others. And that's it. And it's truly showing up in those eight seconds, being so present to feel the connection between the two of you and know that there's something greater moving through the two of you from the good Lord above. Extremely powerful. I also want to talk about a comment that you made when you first got here. I said that uh, my brother's fiance heard you speak at the graduation ceremony, and she was there for her doctorate. And she's like, Monica, he made me cry. There was everybody crying. He played the <laughs> piano. But it's what John had to say that's going to make you laugh, actually, in just a second. The book that your parents actually put out was back in 2005, and that's when you and I first met. What did they want to do at that point to spread your message? What was their main mission? Yeah, and it's it, and I'm not trying to be uh, dismissive. It's not my message. I, I get to hold up a big old mirror and say, Monica and listeners and viewers, t- take a look. Take a look in the mirror. Take a look at how you can be used. Take a look at what's going on in the world. And then take a look at not only what's wrong, but what's right and how to make it even better. Mm-hmm. So th- that's our message. And what they try to do in their book is to say thank you. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to say thank you. We had been so well loved by a community and never appropriately thanked them for all that they did for us. The day I was burned, and I'm almost definitely going to cry and share in this, but here, you know, get the Kleenex ready. Here we go. All right, I'm going to drink somewhere. I'm going to drink some more (laughs) eggnog. Here we go. Don't. Right? You said when when we cry, it actually shows strength. That's ready for you. I may need it, but the day I was burned, you can look it up. St. Louis got seven inches of snow on January 17th, 1987 which means nobody goes on the roads. Mm -hmm. That night, our church community had a prayer service. 
and it was standing room only. It's a it's a big church, 700 people in the pews. It was standing room only on a snowy Saturday night. People had plans. People had fires to attend. People had an opportunity of just cozying up with their kids, taking care of themselves. And yet more than 700 people showed up to pray for a little dying boy. And one of them was a individual named Deanna McClintock Rocco. Uh, Deanna is a year ahead of me at, at St. Clements of Rome and St. Louis. She, that night, went to the prayer service with her parents, came home, shoveled their driveway. She's 10 years old, seven inches, this little girl shoveling. And each scoop she would say, for John O'Leary, for John O'Leary, for John O'Leary. After finishing her parents' driveway, she went to her neighbors, for John O'Leary, for John. She never told me that until 24 years later or so when I hired my first employee, her name was Deanna. And I interviewed her. I ultimately hired her, and after she started with me, she shared, by the way, when you were first burned. And so we, we've been hearing stories like this of love and prayer and support our entire lives, and we never fully said to Deanna and to everybody else, like, hey, thank you for being there. Thank you for visiting, Jack. Thank you for all the things you did for us nursing staff. So mom and dad wrote that book to remind our servants of all that they did, the miracle they were part of and secondarily to challenge the rest of us that we can be like that for someone else. Yeah. That God's grace can shine through your life. Stop making excuses. Start showing up. Oh, I love that. Show up. We, that, that's it. We have, again, I, I don't know what the thing is with people, John, but everybody just believes that they have endless days on earth. And, oh, we can get through that. I, can, I, I, I used to tell people to walk through, and you just said you don't like to go back and visit them. But I, when, when someone says, oh, my life, I always go, Go walk through a burn unit. I, I, that, if that doesn't wake you up and make you realize the life that you have, then something is dead inside of you that needs to be awakened, which is what, which is what I'm hoping happens for you here today. Um, tell the funny story about speaking at St. Louis University back in May. <laughs> let, let me speak to the burn center real quickly because I don't like going there. Right. But I do. I think most of us follow our feelings, and I think that's a pretty weak way to live life. You know, I, I don't feel like being on air with you at 7 in the morning. I'm very tired right now. I wish I was in bed sleeping and taking the day off then. Maybe going to the zoo later on if it's sunny. Like, that's what I feel like doing. Right. But life isn't about your feelings. It's about showing up in spite of your feelings sometimes and serving the one in front of you. I have a feeling Jesus Christ didn't always feel like doing the things he did. He probably didn't feel like picking up the cross. He probably didn't feel like dying. But he did. So uh, pay attention to your feelings. Listen to them. And then move. And then move, pray always, but move your feet while you're doing it. So I just want to acknowledge that, like, I don't feel like doing a whole lot of things sure. we do, but then we do it. And we look back and we're grateful that we did, including saying yes to being a commencement speaker. <laughs> I was invited by St. Louis University to come back and be their speaker. And, dude, you know, I don't like wearing cap and gown when I earned the graduation, let alone when they're having me come in in front of their students and, and families. But I learned a long time ago from a pastor, your life is a priceless, precious gift say yes to being used for good so dude I, I said yes to this <laughs> university I'd never been more nervous speaking in my entire life I've been in prisons and all over the world never more nervous than going back to St. Louis University walked out there and uh, the very first people I see are the professors who trained me up <laughs> right? I, mean, I won't give you my exact GPA but it was somewhere between a 2.6 and a 2.7. Okay, you, you do the math from there. I didn't exactly kill it at St. Louis University. It's probably why I became an entrepreneur because no one would hire me out of college. And so I see all these professors in the front row probably wondering what in the world has John O'Leary done to earn this platform to speak to our fellow graduates. 
uh, nothing. I, I surrendered. I, I, that's how I, that's how I got there that day. I just surrendered. I said yes. I've been saying yes ever since. And I reminded these kids who are 21, 22, 23, that their life can be used for good. Turn off the media. Quit paying attention to what their neighbors are saying about their life. Start moving their feet. Start making a difference. And watch how you can be used for good. You've spoken to so many people over the years, and for you to be able to sum it up into just a few sentences or paragraphs, can you try to do that for me in all of the people, and you said a lot of it's corporations, but it's children, it's teenagers, it's college graduates. When you get the feedback from them, what's the thing that moves you the most, if you can sum it up with all of them that you've spoke to? There's too many stories and, and uh, letters and emails to share in just you know one sentence, but how about one story? Please. I spoke recently to a group of uh, hardworking, very blue-collar ladies and gentlemen, and it was, it was a tough room. Many of them had been drinking for this happy hour for three hours ahead of time. So like it's, it's loud, and this is a loud group when they're sober, and now they've been celebrating and toasting life. And I spoke in the room, got silent. And that, that's awesome. I think the more you mentioned the real, because you're challenging people to be authentic and vulnerable. I'm very authentic and vulnerable, whether with you or with new friends. And after speaking, one of these gentlemen came over to me, and I know his name and his heart well. He held on to me for more than a minute. Uh, this is a man holding on to a stranger, another man, for more than a minute crying. And then he mentioned to me that his father recently passed away. And he talked about the impact of his father's life on him. And then he held on to me for probably another minute before wiping his eyes, primarily on my right jacket sleeve up here. And I still have the scars from that. And I don't know if I'll ever wash that jacket again. It, it's just such this tender moment between two new brothers, man. So what am I reminding audiences of? Is the fr how fragile life is, how precious life is, how good their life is, not how easy their life is, and how worthy it is to say yes to being used for good. I know we keep going back to that. But th that's it. And so um, you can't do that if you're looking down at your phone all day long. And you can't do that if you're waiting for something to show up for you. You can't do that if you're only paying attention to your feelings. You, you, you do that by showing up, by serving sometimes when you don't even feel like it, by recognizing your life can be used for good. And um, you talked earlier about purpose. I'm going to share my purpose. Every morning, even this one, I get up about 430 mm -hmm. And I choose to thrive. This is my purpose. You said most people can't articulate it. I can. That's right. <laughs> I choose to thrive because God demands it. My family deserves it. The world is starved for it. Let's roll. No excuses. So every morning, even when my body hurts, like today, even, even when I don't feel like it, like today, I choose to thrive because God demands it. My family deserves it. The world is starved for it. Let's roll. That's language from actual heroes. September 11th. That's not my language. I, I didn't make up anything. Nothing new under the sun. Let's roll. And the final one, because I'm the king of excuses. No excuses. No excuses. So that that's where my purpose and passion for life and serving comes from. And the fact that you did get up today, and it's easy to say, nope, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to turn off the alarm. I'm going to stay in bed. And next three hours, and I'm going to move from the bed. I'm going to go to the couch. I don't feel like moving at all, physical moving or moving through the spirit. 
this man is inspiring you to do so. It means the world to me that you did get up. And I was going to ask you about the, the pain aspect. I'm actually going to take a quick break because I do want to know about that. And I also love the exchange. You brought up Roy earlier, but the exchange of something that he said that I think is very comical. We'll have that. And we're going to have John pick today's devotional. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which one he picks. So we have more with John O'Leary when we return. Think about this. When's the last time you called your doctor at 2 o'clock in the morning and he actually answered? Well, at Innovare Health Advocates, their patients are special. Their doctors, nurse practitioners, their care team care deeply about your health, your family, your work, and even your pet. Their clinicians are accessible and they lead your care in and out of the hospital. In fact, Dr. Charles Willie offers his cell phone number to his patients to ensure they can intervene early in your illness. They can provide care above and beyond, offering lab, x-ray, echocardiogram, and other treatments in their office. Innovare Health Advocates, with five locations on both sides of the river. Check them out, InnovareHealth.com. Welcome back. Let me, I would love to be real. Let me share something that just uh, was said between John and I. We talked about crying and how Marilyn actually gave us these Kleenexes and what it says about spreading kindness. And thank you, Marilyn, by the way, for, for giving those to us. Yes, we have cried on this set. There's times where I just say, wow, I didn't expect that to happen. I thought for sure I would today. It's more so that he is inspiring me, that this is what I want for each and every one of us. You'll hear how I end the show in just a second, but I think that's it. Sometimes the tears will come out. They might come out later. Let them come out, though. Show emotions. Totally. You have given me chills more so than tears because I think you just, the passion, which is what I use as my word today. I actually said my prayers like I do every morning, open my eyes and, and talk to God and said, um, ignite. Mm fury, passion. Those are my words. I always ask people to pick words. I think it's more of that, that I'm so on fire, if we want to use that, not to be kitschy and, and That's cliche. That's taken already. We, <laughs> we'll need to come up with a new expression. <laughs> I own the right to that, Monica. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's more of that, that right now I am so awakened by you, and it's just another level. Each time, and I am blessed, each time there's a guest in this chair, that more and more of the message of turning the TV off communicating. Uh, let's talk about your family. You are blessed with a beautiful wife and four children and you're present with them, right? They have this, they have, they have this father, they have this husband, um, to inspire, but, but I'm sure you get inspiration from each and every one of them. The funny story I wanted to share is what Roy said to you when he was like, well, I'm surprised you have such a beautiful wife. <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> How long have you two been married? We just celebrated 20 last month, November 22nd. Congratulations. So 20 years, we got married at the Shrine of St. Joseph, and to do our our final day of shooting down there at the same shrine, I'm pr pretty remarkable. Uh, I always knew I would, if I if I married, it would be someone with a beautiful heart. Mm -hmm. I didn't know her face, skin color, eye color, all this stuff that frequently divides. Yep. Uh, what I knew was her heart, and that seems to be a unifying thing if we're, if we're seeking that. I knew her heart would be pure, it would be good, it would be for others. And uh, I'm, I married a girl who works with kids with special needs. Oh, wow. We met in college. I was a couple years older than Beth was. I was wild about her right away. I mean, she's physically beautiful, but I, I think, you know, that changes. Mm -hmm. uh, her heart has, and it just gets better. And, and I was, at, at 21, you're not really sure what you're seeking, but now I'm a little bit older, a little bit, hopefully more wise. And I realize I'm so grateful that, I, that I, she chose me. And then I ended up with her 
because she's a great mom. She's a great example to me. She, uh, I'm naturally lethargic and lazy and, you know, my, my attention span is four seconds at the longest. And she just keeps redirecting me with grace to taking the next right step forward. So we have built a mighty beautiful life together. And I credit her for that. What was it about you that she was drawn to? Probably the goofiness and the joyfulness. And, uh, my wife is very serious. She can be a lot of fun, but she gets her work done first thing in the morning all day long, and I'm the exact opposite. So I think she saw uh, a young man who celebrated life, maybe a little bit too loudly, a little bit too long, partied a little bit too hard back then. But I think she saw something within that that she was just attracted to. It's joy. And, and joy is attractive. Happiness is not. Marketers will sell you happiness. My dad modeled for me as a young man joy. And I think Beth, in some small way, saw within this 21, 22, 23-year-old unashamed joy. And that, that is attractive. Oh, absolutely. You, and your children, we know one of them's named Jack. Your other children are? Patrick, Henry, and Grace. And what are their ages? They're 18, 16, 14, and 12. So okay. high school, high school, grade school, and grade school. And very impressionable, all of them still. What do you hope for their lives? that they say yes to being used for good. My, you know, they all have these various interests and I just want them to be reminded that this life has an end at some point and it will not be at the top of a mountain with a brass ring. So those things aren't bad. You can pursue success, but I encourage them even in grade school, middle school and high school to pursue significance. If they strive to be a difference maker for others, they will find success. But more importantly, they will be part of someone else's life in a mighty way. They will be like Jack Buck for others in whatever role they choose. So I don't care what ladder they climb. I just want to make sure it's leaned against the right wall. they proud of their father? I think they're beginning to become more proud of their father. I, I used to be able to easily answer that no, and I'm grateful for that. They're unimpressed by their dad because they know me. They've seen me with the sleeves pulled up. They've seen me get mad before. They see me raise my voice and throw the dog outside. You don't go to the bathroom inside. Yeah. Like they've seen me. And so they're not that impressed by dad. And when you are part of someone's life long enough and you hear the ripple effect of that life coming back into your family enough times and you hear from your friends that it's pretty cool to be on, on movie set with you and like you hear these things from others, you become impressed by the life you're part of. So they're not impressed by me, I don't think, but they are impressed by the life story we are part of. So it's interesting because the question I asked about being proud and always interesting of how people answer it, I think what they, I have a feeling without knowing them and your wife and anybody else who's been touched by you, I would think it's hard not to be proud of the fact that I can guarantee you when children are asked who role models are, if you have spoken to them, I bet you, you are many people's answer. <laughs> There's no way for me to answer that question. So I... I, I I plead the fifth, <laughs> uh, other than to say, if that's true, beautiful. Mm -hmm. But it's not at all because I'm showing them trophies. It's because I'm showing them love and service and true gratitude for the little things and the big things, but really even more so the little things. Every night of my kid's life, I, I have a little bedtime ritual with all of them. And this is a pretty nice exercise you can take home to your grandkids or neighbors or whoever it might be, the mirror. And the four questions are, what was the best part of your day? And we spend time there. What was the worst part of your day? Don't hide from that. What was the worst part? Tell me about it. What was one kind thing someone did for you? And what was one kind thing you did for, for someone else? And then we wrap up with prayer. 
But what happens is all day long, their eyes are now trained for the beauty, but they're not afraid of also talking about the agony. They're looking for evidence of people doing kind of things. The media does not do this. Trust me, watch, watch, and you'll see that I'm right. They're not looking for evidence of goodness and grace. My kids are, but they're also looking for evidence of being part of someone else's goodness and grace. So I, I think if they're impressed by me, I'm grateful for that, but I want others to be impressed by them, and that's what I'm trying to train into them. Their own. We, we say this on a regular basis, John. You have to know your own value and that, that you are an inspiration. There's so many people, as we said in the very beginning, John, that answer that question and say, I'm not an inspiration. I'm not a role model. Ask yourself that and maybe do that as a practice as well. I love the fact that you said that your father is one of the most important people in your life, your role model. I wish more people would answer that way to their own parents instead of celebrities and yeah. athletes. You need to look deeper into that. Well, let's look at comments, and then I'm going to let you choose. We end each and every one of our shows this way of 100 Days to Freedom from, and we'll tell John what those are. A lot of people are saying what I expected, which is, I'm not crying. Wow. I'm bawling. Such a moving story with so much inspiration. Holding back my tears right now, but happy tears. So moved. So incredibly inspiring. Uh, inspiring story. Again, it's the inspiration and the motivation that I'm hoping that each and every one of you had a chance to feel today. Uh, Tracy says, I saw the filming going on in Maplewood near my business. Love seeing that happen so close to home. John, how hard was it for you to go from not talking about your accident to talking about it all the time to help others with their struggles? I'm sure it can still be painful talking about it. And I said, it's like if you gave a percentage of physical pain that you feel on a daily basis, what would it be? To be honest, I, I just mask up physical pain. I think physical pain is relatively easy, and I'm not trying to cheapen folks who are in physical pain. I'm able to mask that pretty easy. I, like, I, I view myself almost as a gatekeeper of that. For me, the emotional pain is always the thing that sears, both in my life but also in the lives of those I care for. So um, I'm in physical pain every day, which is part of the reason why I feel like staying in bed. And then I stop with that. I get out of bed. I look east. I watch the sunrise. I give God thanks, and I go to work. You know, sometimes that means literally at a job site. <laughs> Other times it means on an interview. Sometimes it means making brown bags with my kids for their lunch. But I, I go to work, I serve the one in front of me, and the pain begins to fade when my attention turns. But the emotional pain of mistakes that I made, of words that I, I spoke that I should not have, of decisions that I've made, of scars I wear on the inside of my life that I, I don't share, like that that's the stuff that I struggle with and I think most of us struggle with when we're honest about it. So um, moving through that for me is just a reminder that I can't do it by myself, but I can with grace. So mm. I just continually lean back into my faith walk and, and then I try to show up. You, you do show up, sir. You, you show up. I and mean, you show up powerfully. Uh, Stephanie says, God bless you. Can't wait to see the movie. I'm already crying. Thank you so much. I cannot wait until November. What an amazing man of faith you are. Such an inspiration. And I'll end with this. And there's so much more. John, I, I can have John and his staff look at these and, and comment to you as well. But I think his humility says it all. He doesn't take the credit. He gives it all to God. Not a lot of messages out there like that. I mean, I, I'm going to drop the mic on that one. And so, John, I do this. And I actually was asked and neither one of us fear speaking about God and that's what I love and I wish more and more of you would do so and maybe you will and our hope is that you do this happened organically I picked these up at church first of all they're beautiful colors and I was just gonna put them on set and think okay maybe I'll pull from them from time to time 
I, I did one one day and just saw the numbers. And people say, oh, I'm really impressed that you put God in your show. And I said, well, I'm very faith-based. Of course I will. And then it became a daily thing. Right. And people are like, oh, do you see the numbers go down when you're live? And I said, no. They stay steady and they go up because we want more of this. We need more of this. You keep talking about the media. Why do you think I walked away from it? I didn't want to have my name associated with it anymore because it is very divisive. Social media, though, can be that way as well if you let it or it can be good. I got into this business 30 years ago, John, because I believe that this and the camera are very powerful in telling stories and changing lives. And that is the good that we choose to use. And then this, 100 Days to Freedom from, okay, anger, fear and anxiety, depression, shame, or overeating. Which one connects with you on this very second? Probably fear and anxiety. Okay. That's what we're going to do. And that is how we're going to end the show today. 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety, but I'm going to let John have the final word. I will, of course, already say what I always say, but I want him to have one lasting message to each and every one of you. Very interesting that this is the one, and I just got chill again. I say it's not the tears, John. It's the chills. 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety. It's very organic. You never know what someone's going to pick. And it's very interesting that this says on day 21 of 100 Days to Freedom from Fear and Anxiety, it is to stay present, which we have been talking about. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. That's Matthew 6, 34. So how much of your life are you missing because you are either thinking about your past or worried about your future? Does your thinking distract you from truly experiencing what is happening around you right now? Often our fear and anxiety keep us from the joys of life. So if you can relate to this, you may have some sense of how it works. Past experiences and trauma can keep us in the past and on high alert for what can possibly go wrong in the future. There are varying degrees of this, and some become so numbing and so debilitating that individuals essentially check out of their lives. One practice to stay present uses our five senses, sight, smell, touch, hearing, and taste. It sounds simple, but it can be powerful. So take a moment right now. Notice something from each of the senses where you are right this moment. What do you see? What do you smell? Can you touch? Can you taste? What do you hear? If you struggle with distraction and a focus on a negative, it will be helpful to ask for help from maybe a therapist, a coach, a pastor, a friend. Our minds are powerful. Past traumas and experiences can prevent us from full involvement in the present. Reach out today and find healing for your life. Christine Kane said, Jesus always walks with us through our disappointment, through our heartaches, leading us to recover our own wonder, leading us to something better ahead. Mark Twain said, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of, most of which never even happened. And David Jeremiah, set a clear focus in your life and fear will be crowded out. The more you fix your eyes on God's purpose for you, the more you will overcome your fear. Today's prayer, thank you, Lord, for this moment in my life. Help me to find peace in this very moment, knowing you are always with me. Amen to that. I, what's your thoughts on that, John? Amen to that. I mean, so my thoughts on that is, first of all, I love how it wrapped up. And several years ago, I got a Christmas card from uh, from a friend of mine. And on the front of it were the words, do not be afraid. And then on the back of it was the signature of the person who sent it. And she was recently widowed. Uh, her husband was the breadwinner of the family. Uh, there were profound challenges coming up for this lady and for their family going forward. And I thought, what, what an unusual Christmas message like we're Santa Claus 
You know, where's the baby? Put the baby back in the manger, please. And put a couple donkeys over here. Like, why would you say, do not be afraid? It's Christmas. Why have that out there? And then I was reminded of why those words might be on that card and how prevalent those words are in the Christmas story. When, when Mary learns that she will be the mother of the saving force of all eternity, Jesus Christ, the angel greets her with the words, do not be afraid. When Joseph is about to leave that woman, he's greeted by the angel who says, do not be afraid. And when the shepherds are in the field, uh, they're greeted by the heavenly host, the angels who say, hey, guys, no, stop freaking out. Do not be afraid. And so uh, to wrap up in that with this Advent season that we are in the middle of, as we get ready to not just open up Christmas presents, but reminded, be reminded again why we do all this in the first place. I think it's a good reminder as we wrap up this conversation and step into our days and the rest of our lives with that angel reminding us, do not be afraid. Turn off the news. Step away from the struggles for a moment. Stay present. Pay attention to your senses. Pay attention to the voice of God. And do not be afraid. You are a beautiful human being, sir. You really are. I'm reflecting what has been received. That is it. And again, being present, showing up. There are so many messages in today's interview. Please do me a favor and go back and listen to this one. Receive this one. You heard it today, but many times we need to hear the messages again and again, and then all of a sudden it attaches to us. So we grab hold of it, and then we pay it forward. I always end the same way, but I want you to think of one final sentence right after I say this, because I want you to have the final word. I tell each and every one of you, you do have value. You are going to go out in today's world as you come in contact with others, complete strangers in a grocery store, everything that you do the way you walk up the eye contact I hope you make with each and every one of the people that you are blessed to have in your life again even if it's a complete stranger you don't know what happens and in the rush of this season slow down you heard it be present be a little bit calmer and what I always say that anybody can be anything that they want to be this man has just proven to you but the biggest thing I want each and every person to do is to be kind we need to be a kinder human being to each and every person and I tell you to be kind but I'm going to let you say the final words. I'm just going to say God bless to each and every one of you. <laughs> well, now it's awkward. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> no. Thank you for tuning in for this time. Until next time, my name is John O'Leary. Here, here, here's what I'll say. Yes. My dad, when he came into the hospital after I got burned, my concern was my father's reaction. Not for this, but for his house. I'm nine. I just burned down my dad's house. I'm pretty sure he's going to be a little mad about this one. And the very first words he spoke to me were uh, these. He said, John, hey, my little monkey. And then he said, man, have I told you how proud I am of you? And then he said, John, look at me when I'm talking to you. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. So uh, as, I, as I listen to your clothes, walking through grocery stores and offices and bus lines and everything else we do as we interact with people, usually by looking down at our phones rather than looking in people's eyes, my invitation to myself and to Monica and to you is to look them in the eyes, look them into their hearts and say the words, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and just watch how that changes you and then it ultimately will change the conversation you have with that person afterwards. God bless you. Now you made me cry. <laughs> God bless you all. Have a beautiful day. 
Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of The Real Monica Adams Show. And I hope that you take just one thing from today's show. Remember, it's small changes that amount to the large ones that you've been seeking in your life. If you've been suffering from mental health, depression, anxiety, fear, PTSD, you have to start small. But I'm giving you the tools on my show each and every day, again, on Facebook and YouTube, and then listening to the message on this audio podcast platform. If there's a show you would like for me to do, a particular topic, do me a favor, shoot me an email, info at therealmonicaadams.com, and I will take care of that for you. Thank you again for tuning in today, and we will see you very soon. Mm-hmm.